I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. Yet another Tim May Podcast aptly named. Don't you think, Austin Ward? The best name there is. I'm going to call you by your formal name before I get into your nicknames anymore, just to uh, appease all the people out there who are sticklers, who have nothing else to do but uh, get upset about little stupid things like that, Boston. Uh, but Boston, thanks for being on with me again, my man. Always a pleasure. It's, you know, I just, my week wasn't the same last week without jumping on with you. I missed you last week, you know, like a stagecoach. I was having to drive that stagecoach all by myself without that guy riding shotgun. But uh, now I got you back shotgun. But, you know, this is a, uh, we're going to get into it uh, after my first guest. We're going to get into, like, what, what do we see coming around the corner? Uh, what, what the season looks like when she comes, you know, that, those, that old line, but uh, uh, that song. But, you know, my, my first guest or my guest this week is uh, John Bacon. And you know John Bacon. I mean, he's, he's a man of great repute from the standpoint of being an author of some great books about college athletics in general, college football in particular, especially uh, Michigan, uh, you know, he has chronicled the Michigan program for a while, grew up, went to school there, et cetera, but he's about as objective a person as I've ever run into. You agree with that, right? Yeah, he's an, he's an institution uh, when it comes to Big Ten reporting, much like you are. I mean, he's, uh, when I first started covering this league, there's just a handful of people that they point out, to say, this is who you need to follow uh, for this school, this is who you need to follow for that school. But, I mean, really, you know, John Bacon was somebody that said, you know, he is primarily focused on Michigan, but if something's going on in the Big Ten, uh, he's somebody that you got to be tuned into. Uh, really sharp guy, really friendly guy. Uh, glad that I've got to know him over the last 10 years or so. Yeah, you know, uh, he and I, uh, as you'll see in the interview that follows, uh, he and I got into the historical nature of already of 2020 <laughs> as it pertains to college football. We also get into the historical nature of the series, the game, uh, and how it has turned ridiculously Ohio State's way, et cetera. And he's chronicled that in, in several of his books. Uh, but then we also get into, like, why Urban Meyer was never here again, <laughs> but was coach of the decade in the Big Ten. <laughs> and as you know, we've got a great special uh, at LettermanRoad.com this week uh, we, where we uh, got together with Urban Meyer and several of his players from that 2012 team, which really, as he said, that was the foundation. That was a building block for what came uh, the next uh, seven years with him as the head coach at Ohio State. And, you know, it was a fun thing to record, correct? Awesome. Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, cool how we were able to throw that together. And, and I think he really appreciated the opportunity. I mean, I talked to you know, Jake Stoneburner for a long time after we filmed that last week. And, you know, he, he those two I don't think had – been in the same room or had any conversations since the end of that 2012 season they they really kind of butted heads dating back you know to the you know incident at the bogey and, and everything that went you know along with that obviously had a great season working together and he scored that key touchdown against Penn State and you know yeah. Jake went on to do you know spend some time in the NFL but they 
you know, didn't spend a lot of time together. And then they had, you know, some really cool moments that they shared before, during, and after. And that was really cool to see. I hope that people enjoyed um, that because you and I, I, you know, we definitely had a great time filming it. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, and the other thing that stands there, we'll talk about that after the, after my interview with John Bacon. I want to talk to you about the dynamics of a, of a football team. They're not always how they appear, you know, on the outside to people and stuff. And, right. you know, coaches don't necessarily want to be beloved, at least when it's, when it's, <laughs> when things are going down, they just want you to get your job done. And, uh, and that's, what's interesting now is, is Urban Meyer is now getting to enjoy, look back, reflect and enjoy some of the fruits of what was an incredible coaching career, whether it has other chapters to come, you know, well, that, that, that's, that's, that's to wait and see. But, uh, but yeah, it was an interesting night. But, you know, before we get into all that, and we're going to talk about uh, the Big Ten's response uh, situation right now in the all-intramural schedule, et cetera, which was announced last week and Gene Smith's press conference when we talked about that, but where things are going. Uh, I get into that some with John Bacon here. Uh, John Bacon, one of my favorite people. Uh, I re- one of the things I'm really disappointed in is we always had dinner together, me, him, and several other guys, at least one night uh, during the Big Ten media days every year in Chicago, going back 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we're all missing that. Uh, we're all missing that this year. But, uh, you know, without further ado, let's get to my interview with John Bacon, and then we'll come back with Boston. You know him as Austin Ward. I know him as Boston Ward. And we'll talk about the lay of the land, Ohio State, mid-July. Is there going to be a season? But first, ladies and gentlemen, here's John Bacon. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, ladies and gentlemen, like I promised, I deliver the bacon today. Yes, sir. Uh, John, you bacon. Welcome to the Tim May Podcast. The Tim May podcast sounds downright professional, my old friend. So, yes, thank you. You know, if I had some eggs, we could have bacon and eggs today. That's the way I look at it, my friend. But well done. Uh, I've, been, I've, I've been wanting to have you on ever since I started this thing because, number, number one, I count you as one of my friends. I don't know if you count me as one of your friends. Absolutely. Number two, uh, I'm really missing this uh, summer. Uh, our one night, you know, we, me, you, and a bunch of guys have dinner uh, at least one night. Jerry Palm. Chicago. Yes, Jerry right. Palm, man. And, uh, 
bless his heart. I hope he's doing well. You know, he's having a few uh, physical challenges right now. But uh, uh, miss, uh, miss at night, uh, you know, in, in Chicago at the Big Ten uh, media days when we get together and just shoot the you-know-what about you-know-what. And uh, uh, But with that said, let's do it right now, man. I mean, Why not? John, John, you're an historian. You've written 11 books, all of them of a historical pardon expression caliber, some of them hysterical. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the bottom line is this, this is going to be a season for the ages, isn't it? It already is, and it's mid-July. I mean, you and I have been around for a little while. We've never heard of a season A being discussed as canceled, which is a real possibility, sadly. Uh, and two, of course, they've already scotched the non-conference schedule. So uh, go figure on that one. And uh, maybe I'm too much of an old-school guy. The way they do the non-conference schedule these days with Ball State and Kent State and so on, not that big a loss. In the old days, in the old days. Let me, yeah. let me tell you kids how it used to be. Yeah. Uh, in the mid-'80s, early-'80s when I was in school, uh, they played all nine Big Ten teams and two non-conference teams. And back then, they played the big boys like Maryland or Notre Dame or uh, Penn State, not in the Big Ten back then, of course. Uh, right. Teams like that. So you knew who the champions were. Yeah. You know, and the bottom line is uh, uh, a game that I think all Ohio State fans were looking forward to seeing this year uh, was, was at Oregon, and it was going to have ramifications in the – in the college football playoff, you know, playoff divisions of our uh, invitations. But, but should a game in September have that big up ramifications in a, in a, in a uh, tournament that's played in December? I'm not sure that's right either, right? But, I mean, there was a couple of games you're looking forward to, right? Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, the, the two red-letter games in the Big Ten were very obvious, and that was Ohio State at Oregon and, of course, Michigan at, at Washington. Right. Very setups and – the way those games play out, and Ohio State always plays at least one big boy in their non-conference, and I respect that. Most, a lot of teams don't. Certainly Alabama doesn't. Yeah. Those teams never do. Those, those guys barely play power five, <laughs> let alone uh, somebody legitimate. But the keys to those games is if you can get past that first game, which is often a toss-up, then you got three or four games off more or less before the big boys come back in the form of Wisconsin, Penn State, and others. Yeah. Uh, so that first game is one hell of a hurdle. And – you're bound to make mistakes in that first game, but this year that ain't happening. So, yeah. well, like Alabama found out, you know, it's not playing USC now, and of course USC's, you know, Clay Helton's probably happy about that. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the Pac-12 followed suit and also canceled its non-conference games. Uh, I had Pat Chunney, a Washington State athletic director, on my podcast a week ago, and we were talking about those very possibilities because I put forth this scenario about three, two and a half, three months ago when COVID nineteen, when the quarantine stuff first started, that this made the most sense is to make it intramural, you know, because you can best control your own neighborhood uh, right. as opposed to a huge city, which is college football. And, and lo and behold, they've gone to that route, but I'm just, you know, just, I want to get your lay of the land up there in Michigan. Uh, what is your sense that there's even going to be a season as you look at it? Uh, I wish I knew. I can tell you only a few things with complete confidence. One, um, we know non-conference is gone. That's pretty clear. Two, no crowds. I think it'll be yeah. 10,000, 15,000 max. Uh, that I can say with great confidence. Third thing is nobody knows anything. <laughs> yeah. Nobody has a definitive answer right now. Because, no one does. And, yeah. and right now nobody can because Correct. we don't have data, frankly. Yeah. We've never tried this before, so we don't know. Uh, I think one scenario, sadly, which seems pretty likely to me is you might try a few games. And then it spreads, and then you got to shut it down. That's what happened in 1918, speaking of history, uh, with the Spanish flu. Uh, Michigan played uh, five games that year. They played 
I think, two or three games. They canceled five games. They played again in uh, November. They finished the season, Tim, 5-0, and 2-0 and on the Big Ten. So they call that Big Ten champs and national champs. That's a fine scenario for Michigan this year right there. <laughs> is that when they wrote the song? Da, 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 da. Is that when they wrote that song? No, they wrote that in 1898, dude. Oh, they did? Boy, <laughs> boy, they presupposed a lot of stuff way back in 1898, sure did. didn't they? Huh? Camp is the West. That's why they call it that. So back then, <laughs> the West, pal. <laughs> yeah. By the way, 1918, I'm trying to remember the year of the Great Halifax Explosion. When was that? That was like 17, year before. 18, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to read a book, uh, John U. Bacon book, that, I mean – all those books are excellent, but that great Halifax explosion really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I had planned a vacation in Nova Scotia with my wife uh, soon after that. And I had, I'd already penciled in these places I wanted to go see, you know, but we didn't get to make that, uh, that trip that year. But uh, John, you know, I'll, I'll give you more kudos in a minute where your head can, uh, where your cap size will grow about uh, three of those notches, you know, on the back uh, by the time we're done. But I want to get, you know, real quick, uh, uh, is there, was there a sense uh, from your standpoint that this thing was going to go away? I mean, obviously, Jim Harbaugh had some comments, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a week or so ago about, you know, whether you, whether you should play during this time, whether this is kind of like just dealing with the flu, et cetera. I'm paraphrasing here now, but, uh, you know, do you sense that it is a super dangerous thing for football players to be dealing with at this point? Well, you're talking to a guy with degrees in history and English, so I'm the last guy you should be asking. But, uh, but here now, we what are. Was your dad, though? What was your dad's degree in? My dad is a pediatrician at UNL. There you go. See, I'm yeah. leaning on you to lean on that. There you go. Uh, still hanging in there. But uh, long story short, and look at the full Harbaugh quote on that, by the way. The, the one pullout got taken somewhere right. out of country. And the rest of it, he says, you know, look, obviously he wants to play. And I'm sure uh, um, Ryan Day, yeah, exactly. He wants to also. Um, but the, uh, but he also, Harbaugh also said in that quote, but we don't know a lot of things yet. We're watching the science of it and he answers to his AD and his president and he knows that. So, yeah. Um, so we'll see about that. But, um, right now, I mean, I said two months ago, I was not sure they're going to play football this, this fall. And I hate to say it. And here's, let me underscore this. I sincerely hope I'm wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times. I'd love to be wrong this time, but I don't think it's going to happen because whenever they get these guys together, uh, the numbers at Michigan so far they released uh, a couple days ago were very small. Uh, yeah, I think two or three guys out of the whole 120, 130. And that stayed low so far, knock on wood. Um, and we want that to be true for everybody, obviously. Um, but when Clemson got together, when Maryland got together, the, it, it grows quickly. And the great variable here, Tim, we're not so old. We don't remember these days. Put college, put college kids on a college campus and – even if you close the damn bars, and I've been to your bars, they're great bars, love them. Yeah, yeah. Lang's Pizza, German Village. There you go. College bar, but it's the best place in the world, so love it. Uh, once you do that, though, what are they going to do? Close the bar, it'll be dorm parties, fraternity parties, house parties, you name it. Uh, they have not shown a great deal of discipline on this front, uh, so I would have a hard time imagining it's not going to spread pretty quickly once they all get together in the fall. Again, I hope that I'm wrong, uh, but that's – that's the most likely scenario to me. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying all along that you're not out of the woods with this until an actual uh, vaccine is developed and distributed, uh, which are obviously two different uh, endeavors there. And, and, but, you know, uh, and the other thing, you know, we had, that, you know, Gene Smith was on a teleconference last week, the end of the week, explaining, uh, uh, ex, ex, you know, given his side of like uh, the Big Ten going away from the uh, non-conference schedule 
But also, you know, we had learned uh, earlier in the week that uh, Ohio State had had, a, had had single digits, but it had single digits occurrences of COVID-19 of all the athletes they brought back, you know, were working out. And they shut down the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and the other uh, workout places at Ohio State for the uh, fall sports because of that for a while to let everything settle out. But, uh, you know, the funny thing about this is if they do go to a conference schedule, like he said, that gives them flexibility to be able to upload, you know, front load games, you know, if they want to from a divisional standpoint. But also if a team has suddenly a COVID-19 outbreak, you can postpone or cancel that game that week, move it to a later date. Yeah, right. So nine or ten game schedule. But here's the thing. We're talking about 14 athletic directors or presidents getting together. What constitutes uh, what constitutes the evidence to support, you know, you canceling or postponing that game that week? You know, I mean, like I said, you might only have four guys on your team that have COVID-19, but they might be all four of your quarterbacks. You know, so, you know, where do you go from there, right? I mean, this is a real can of worms, right? This thing sets up all kinds of great moral dilemmas that we'll be debating for a long, long time. Hey, snowball stuff. Um, uh, Wes Fessler, the old coach there, sounds like he's from WKRP in Cincinnati. Um, He decided to play that game in the snow, of course, 1950. Um, If he hadn't played it, the Buckeyes would have been champions. And I don't think Woody Hayes would have been at Ohio State. So you never know about these things. You're going to have a lot of calls like that coming around. And like I said, okay, your quarterback on Thursday, test positive, showing no symptoms. Yes. You're not supposed to play him. Yeah. Uh, the Big Ten, I have a fair amount of faith that the ADs, the coaches, are all on the same page, and they do the right thing. Once you leave the conference, I, my faith goes down dramatically. Um, you, you- yeah, but you've covered a lot of stuff in your in your life. You've, you've watched it. I, I, I call it from the inside out a lot. Of, that's what I like about your books and stuff. Uh, they give you from the inside out look at things. You think they're just kicking the can, just keeping people sort of fired up right now, but you think they're just kicking this can down the road, right? I mean, I mean, that's what I, that's the sense I get. I mean, but, you know, but that's being simplistic because like you just said a while ago, and I've been saying this all along, until you know what the actual question is, how do you have an answer, right? <laughs> That's a great way to phrase it right there. I'm stealing that one, mate. That's, that one's yeah. really good. So, yeah, I want to see that uh, lead in your next – matter of fact, that there should be good. As, as my old friend Tim May said. Yeah, the great Tim May explosion. And, uh, and you're right. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. We don't know what the question – the question has not been framed yet. Uh, what is the threshold? We don't – it's all, you know, it's a brave new world, man. We don't know this world at all. It's wild west. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, you know – what is the question? What's the percentage of players that we, you know, throw the flag and say we're not playing this weekend? Does it matter if they're walk-ons or scholarship or starters? Yeah. All this stuff. I mean, to have a walk-on, you know, pulled out is not that complicated. To have a starter pulled out gets a little more complicated. And let's add this. Uh, baseball is probably the easiest team sport to uh, function this way. Uh, there's not that much interaction physically, of course. Yeah. Um, football, it's impossible. I mean, these guys spit at each other in normal in the normal course of events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's what's uh, funny is you know when you saw the NFL when it came out where it's uh, with his guidelines is that these guys are going to be running into into each other all day, but then after the game they're expected to keep six six feet apart, don't exchange jerseys, and you're going to Sean watch these guys go. What are you talking about? You know, that's exactly it. I mean, it's not after the game I'm worried about the NFL. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, if you watch look, Formula One. I have up front, man, and you are two feet apart. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And you're no feet apart, obviously. And then, yeah. of course, from after every play. Um, 
man, this is, it's complicated. It's going to be very complicated. There's poking and gouging going on, et cetera. I don't know if you watch it. You don't watch uh, Formula One like I do, but Formula One, I thought it was the greatest example of how goofy it is, is they've gone to great lengths to have their season. They had two straight races in Austria, and after the race uh, on Sunday, um, which Lewis Hamilton won, they presented the trophies with these with these robot remote control pod things that moved in front of the drivers, and they were able to pick the trophy up off of the thing, and then it rolled off, okay? And it was all <laughs> just pristine, right? Then, boom, as soon as the national anthems and everything were over, they're spraying champagne running around <laughs> each other, you know what I mean? Lewis Hamilton's chasing his crew through the pits. I mean, you know, so. Yeah. So, You're only as good as your weakest link here, unfortunately. Yes. Bingo. And the weakest link is the human spirit. Uh, let's put, right. leave it at that. Hey, uh, John, uh, let's get right into what probably most people tuned in when I, when they found out I had John U. Bacon on. They could, they could catch the aroma from a, from a ways. I mean, no one has, I don't think, documented the history of a college football program better than you have done uh michigan uh, over the last 20 years and uh with your books etc and by say by documenting i mean a lot of there have been a lot of books written about a lot of programs and stuff but yours like i said you're from the inside out to a certain extent of sort of like showing the good the bad and the ugly and uh just put it in a nutshell for people who maybe don't understand, aren't looking at it from that other side of the window over there, that, uh, that window, that uh, hermetic, hermetic seal between us and Michigan, you know, that rises just north of Toledo. Uh, just how tough this eight-game losing streak to Ohio State, winning only two games since, uh, since Ohio State this turned the tide in 2001 in, this, in the series. How tough has this been on Michigan people? Uh, brutal. Um, and almost more so under Harbaugh because under Hoke, what do people really expect? Obviously, under Rich Rodriguez, by the time you got to that game, there was very little hope, although he scared him once. Uh, Hoke, of course, won once against Luke Fickle and then scared the hell out of them in the overtime game and so on. Uh, Harbaugh's right there in 2016. Uh, but the rivalry has never been like this. I mean, like I said, two wins this century. If you told me that in 2000, I would have bet the ranch. Yeah. Uh, I think Buckeye fans would have too, frankly. Oh, yeah. Who, who would have seen that coming? Um, to me right now under Harbaugh, they're obviously – they've been close some years. It's kind of like Bo in the Rose Bowl. He went 0-5 and then 0-7 in bowl games total with Blue Bonnet and Gator in there as well. Or Gator and something else. Uh, I forget. Uh, he had to win one. Once he won one, he went 5-5 five and five the rest of the decade, the rest of the 80s. Uh, right now, Ohio State for Michigan is that kind of voodoo. Um, they got to win one to get it out of their heads and make it a football game again because right now I just, it's, it's too high a mountain, it seems like, psychologically. Yeah. Um, so that's what the Buckeyes have done. And, look, give them credit also. Uh, no better example, in my opinion, than 2018, which is what I wrote the latest book about, Overtime. I was embedded during that season uh, at Michigan. Um, man, Ohio State had lost badly to Purdue that year, of course, one of, the, one of the craziest games I've ever seen. I just could not believe what I was seeing. Then, of course, almost lost to Maryland. Probably should have if the guy can make an eight-yard pass, uh, open guy. Uh, Michigan's been on all cylinders for 10 straight games. They play the game, and Ohio State on that day played their best game of the year, and Michigan on that day played their worst game of the year. And that shows you the competing psychologies, in my opinion, that they currently bring to the table this time around. So until Michigan under Harbaugh beats them once, uh, that psychology is going to be the biggest obstacle Michigan has. 
And, I mean, during that stretch, Ohio State has lost to Michigan State at home. They've lost to Purdue. Uh, they lost to other teams. They just never lose to Michigan. They lost to Penn yeah. State. Um, so Michigan's got the voodoo right now. The monkey's Michigan's, clearly. But this is more than voodoo, man. This is like a plague. I mean, no, you know, I mean, this is like uh, – but here's the thing. I don't know if you agree, but I had to Angelique Shingalis, you know, Angelique, one of She's our favorite right. people. And uh, we were, we're, she was on here a couple of months ago, and we were talking about a similar thing. And I just go, the thing about it, though, is we're talking about one game a year. You know, we're not talking about in baseball sweeping a series, you know, a weekend right. series or something. And every year you show up, it's a different team, you know. And, and is, it, is it fair – you know, I was asking this back when Cooper – John Cooper was having his travails, 210-1. He was on my podcast last week, as a matter of fact. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we kind of, you know, gave that short shrift a little bit, <laughs> as you can imagine. But we talked about it. But is it fair to judge a program on one game a year? I mean, uh, is, 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 is that fair to judge where the two teams are just on one game a year? If you follow me. Because you're not the same team at the end of the year you worked at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, it's – entirely unfair and that is what makes the Michigan Ohio State rivalry so great because yeah. yeah it's unfair <laughs> and life. so what <laughs> life is tough right yeah life is tough and one of my lines from that HBO series is if you don't think this game matters tell that to the guy who lost it and yeah. that's where the rivalry on paper obviously it has not been much of a rivalry the last 20 years uh but in terms of the feelings of it um man the Michigan players had the same bitterness that the Buckeye players had in the 90s, mm -hmm. um, I think, about losing this game. And they get reminded of it, of course. Everyone knows how many pairs of pants you got, right? Yeah. Uh, John Jansen, the old uh, left tackle All-American at Michigan, played in the NFL for about 10 years with the Redskins. He had a great line. He said, when I ask you, ask another Michigan guy, when I ask you how many times you beat Ohio State, I already know. And you already know that I already know how many <laughs> you won. <laughs> yeah. That's the measure. And that's the measure at Ohio State also. Now, these days, how many guys are walking around with four pairs of pants? Quite a few. Um, that's, five, some of them, many have five pairs. Uh, that's right. Yeah. That's right there, too. Gold so, pants, uh, ladies gentlemen, the trinkets that Ohio State gets for uh, – matter of fact, many of them, they've accumulated so many of them over the years, some of them sold them, you know? <laughs> now, look, even I'll tell you that's blasphemous. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. You know don't I'm sell saying. it away, man. Come on. Yeah, but I mean, it's like you get enough gold in your pocket sometimes, you know. You just, sometimes you need some walking around money. You don't melt it about. down, right? Yeah, but you know, uh, it, like you just said a while ago, you didn't say this, but you kind of did because you named off like, and you didn't get to this, but 2006 game of the century that was a hell of a game. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, like you just said, 2015, 2013 at Michigan, 2000. Uh, 2012 in Ohio Stadium. That was 26-21 game. Uh, Ohio State didn't let Michigan over the 50-yard line in the second half, but Michigan led at halftime. Uh, right. There have been several instances where Michigan could have taken at least part of that monkey off their back. I mean, right. that's what I'm getting to here is it comes down to a player three, right? Almost always. Um, and, and the guys going into that game know that. This is why – but see, this is why I love college football in general. Right. This is why – Big Ten in particular, this is why I'm absolutely enamored, of course, the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, is, uh, there, there are no, like you said earlier, there are no redos, man. You don't, you don't play a four-game weekend set. It's not, you know, Cleveland versus uh, Cincinnati. You don't play them twice a year. You, don't, you want them in the playoffs. There are no two whacks at this. You get one whack, you know it, one per year. And then you got 364 days to think about the damn thing. 
I don't know of any single annual event in team sports that has more pressure on it than that game. Yeah. Because you know you're living with that the rest of your life, not just that year, the rest of your life. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you don't believe me, talk to those guys. You have, I have. Oh, yeah. They, they'll, they'll tell you all the scores 30, 40, 50 years later. They all know them. Yeah. Um, and, and the regret, if, there, if, a, if a mistake was made, the regret follows you the rest of your life. It's not fair. It's not sane. Uh, but that's exactly what it is. So, hey, suck it up. You want to play in the greatest rivalry in sports? That's, that's the price. Yeah. No, you're right. Mike Landry. I mean, you know, right on down the line, we could name, you know, uh, you know, Ohio State players. Uh, Matt France misses that field goal in 86, uh, you know, and uh, the current coach, Jim Harbaugh, uh, guaranteed victory. I mean, it, it is crazy. You know, but uh, the interesting thing here is uh, what I wanted to segue into is, uh, and you kind of, you, you know, you touched on this in your book, Overtime, um, What's really turned in this series is Ohio, Michigan, in the first couple of years under Harbaugh, had a chance to kind of right the ship, you know, in that regard. Didn't get it done. Just when you thought he had, him, he had Michigan back on that straight and narrow path, you know, to, uh, uh, to gridiron glory, so to speak, which now, if you don't win a conference championship and play for the national championship, what have you done for me, right? Uh, it fell off, and now there's evidence – if you believe in recruiting rankings, that Ohio State is dominating. I mean, like never before in the Big Ten. I'm talking about from a standpoint of bringing in talent, et cetera. And right. then Michigan, Michigan's running, you know, basically behind Penn State in that regard. And, uh, you know, and Michigan State's had some pretty good classes, et cetera. But what is your sense of where the Michigan program is headed as we speak? Um, you're right about the recruiting that, uh, on the field last year, I believe it was Ohio State had 14 five-star players in that roster. Yeah. And Michigan had four. Yeah. And I'm not a math whiz, Tim, but I think 14 is more than four. And <laughs> five stars, man, I mean, they don't all come through. We know that. We know that there's a wash-off factor in some, but so what? Those are lottery tickets. Yeah. And you'd rather have 14 than four. Uh, undeniable. And look how many guys, I mean, what impressed the hell out of me at Ohio State when they won the national title a few years ago, they won it with a Thurston quarterback. It's like, Okay, <laughs> that's some pretty serious. That, that, that's Alabama-style depth uh, with Tua and so on. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so that's the, what you're dealing with there at Michigan. But almost every year, I think, Michigan's been second behind Ohio State, maybe a good chunk behind, but usually ahead of Penn State. Before it all settles out, you watch. Michigan will probably out-recruit Penn State. That's my guess. Yeah. Uh, it's always finishing second, like I said, maybe you know, a good notch below uh, Ohio State, but still right there. And I still think, uh, perhaps stupidly, um, naively maybe, that Michigan is still close enough that they should be able to win some of those games. We, you already listed off the four or five. Oh, yeah. If you win four or five of those games, okay, then the record for the, for the you know, decade is you know, seven and 13. Not ideal, but that's still obviously a, a rivalry back and forth. Yeah. You don't have the, you know, the monkey on the back or gorilla on your back when you play that game. You're playing a football game at least. Um, and that, that weighs on you. Michigan was, you know, had a horrible streak against, uh, Penn, against Michigan State. Uh, under D'Antonio, knock them off once or twice, and they seem to have the upper hand again. Um, so I'm not sure Michigan will ever get the upper hand on Ohio State the way they did over Michigan State. Uh, that's, you know, who knows. And by the way, John Cooper, God bless him, for a couple things. One, for staying in Columbus when he didn't have to. I always thought he'd manned up about that one. And yeah. two, for all the crap he gets down there, and I know that he does, uh, that guy had top five teams almost every single year, which probably makes the pain greater. Uh, yeah. But he also lost to, you know, Lloyd Carr and uh, 
and Bo Schimbeck are Hall of Fame coaches. So he didn't lose to chump change, I don't think. What he usually lost to was very good Michigan teams that had been asleep for a part of the season and woke up on the right day. Yeah. Um, teams with talent. Um, but anyway, so it's the, it's the voodoo that goes with it. Um, maybe Michigan would not have that. And, and by the way, more credit here. When you go from Trestle to Urban Meyer to, uh, Ryan, to Ryan, of course, with only one day, with you know, a year of fickle in the middle, uh, they basically did not miss a beat, including 2012 when they go 12-0. and 0. Um, That's very hard to do when you follow legends and whatnot. You know, if you follow Saban, I wouldn't want to. You don't want to follow Bear Bryant or Woody Hayes either. Uh, but those guys, one, two, three, like that, that's extremely hard to do well, and they've done it. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's sort of climbing a ladder. I mean, what John Cooper did, John Cooper got Ohio State back on the beam in terms of recruiting, going after big-time talent no matter where it was. Uh, Jim Trussell took it up a notch in terms of the actual rivalry, the game, pointed at it his first day on the job, and then, you know, shot bulls, you know, shot arrows into the bullseye. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Urban Meyer after the Luke Fickle. I mean, Luke Fickle didn't have a chance that year. You know, had lost five or six of his best players because of the, you know, stuff that's going to be legal in a year. <laughs> you know, it wasn't legal back then. I mean, it's crazy. But uh, Urban Meyer then took it up another maybe two notches. Ryan Day has followed suit. But let's get back to what, you know, one of the reasons I called you. Uh, Urban Meyer uh, was 83-9 and nine as the head coach at Ohio State. Uh, obviously went 7-0 and 0 against uh, the team up north, as he says it. Uh, we filmed a, a big special with him. Uh, me and Austin uh, Ward did with him and six of, six of the players from that 2012 team, which kind of turned – the tide, uh, especially with that win over Michigan. And uh, we filmed it in the 7-0 and room <laughs> at the Urban Meyer Pint House in Dublin. 7-0 meaning his record against the team up north, as he likes to say. Uh, Urban Meyer was never named Coach of the Year in the Big Ten, but an August panel featuring, uh, featuring many of the great people who have been around uh, Big Ten football for a long time, including yourself, John U. Bacon. <laughs> Uh, picked him as the coach of the decade for the uh, past decade. <clears throat> Why did you pick him the coach of the decade, John Bacon? Because it was obvious. There, there are a couple of decisions that were not very hard. Uh, that was one on the basketball side. I picked Tom Izzo as the coach of the decade. Uh, Beeline was closer to Izzo than anybody was Urban Meyer, but it still was not that hard a call. And as you might imagine from a lot of Michigan fans, I, I heard about it. But, uh, but facts are facts. This is a no-brainer. Uh, you're 7-0 versus Michigan. You've won a batch of Big Ten titles. And when you didn't win the Big Ten title, you're still a top-10 team by one game off. Uh, you won a national title in there, which nobody in the Big Ten has come close to yeah. uh, during the This was one of the very few, and you had the same ballot I did. A lot of those calls, man, because you're thinking about a guy from 2012 versus a guy from 2017, and one guy played two years, one guy played four years. It's, you know, apples and oranges and bananas. It was very hard. Yeah. Started out. That, that, that one gave me about eight seconds of thought. Um, Urban Meyer, check, done. That was easy. Um, and I got to say also, having interviewed him during that time, um, by the way, you Buckeye fans, it's probably most of your followers here. Uh, fourth and long, I spent with Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan, and Notre Dame. So it's pretty well spread out amongst those. And Urban Meyer was great with me. Uh, gave me great interviews before, during, and after that 2012 season, which ended up being, of course, a great one. Yeah. For, uh, uh, especially off six and seven. That was that might have been his best coaching job, frankly, not even the national title year. Uh, that's well, I mean, let me interrupt you. That's what, that's what our special with him was about. I mean, he, he says, without 2012, 
who knows what follows after that? Because that was like making people believe again. You know, I mean, that was not the that was not his greatest team. But no, that was know, guts. It's one of only six unbeaten, untied teams in Ohio State history. You know, because they obviously right. get to go to the Big Ten championship or a bowl game. But no, you picked the right year. You know, and it, it, it's giving me goosebumps thinking about what you just said because that's exactly what he'll tell you to this day. But go ahead. That's interesting. That's good. I'll yeah. tell you, as an aside about Urban Meyer, I always enjoy talking to Coach Dressel. Very nice guy. Very polite. Remembers your name, that kind of thing. Uh, but I never got a lot out of him. <laughs> I'd get 10 or 15 minutes, I'd look down and go, well, I really don't have a quote here. Urban Meyer, man, you ask him a question, you get an answer. Yeah. Uh, may not be the one you like or whatever, but so what? It's very clear. It's well, that's what I told you. That's what I told you a long time ago. Don't ever ask Urban Meyer a question you don't want to hear his answer to. Because you know? you're going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was talking to him for that reason, and uh, we've always had a good relationship. But, uh, but I do recall talking to him before the 2012 season. This is in, I think, February. So not even spring, spring ball has not even started yet. And I asked him you know, what he's up to these days. And he said, uh, they're practicing practice. And I said, what the hell is that? And, of course, you know you only get, you know, X number of minutes by the NCAA. It's a very tight schedule these days. Um, so he was, did not want to waste a second moving around pylons or blocking dummies or clocks or anything else. So he had his coaching staff and the student managers and all the rest, equipment managers, out there in the field for a week practicing their practices. So when the players came up, they would not waste a second on any of that stuff. And I heard this and I knew that Brady Hogue was running much more relaxed practices at Michigan than, you know, Bo or Lloyd Carver ran. Yeah. Carbaugh runs. And I, once I heard that without knowing anything about the roster, really about what they had, I said, man, Michigan is screwed. And they were. <laughs> I, mean, wow. I mean, seriously, it's, it's crazy. And you know, I said online, I mean, I've always said that the great coaches, if you look at them, if you get into like the nuts and bolts, forget about their personalities because they're all different. Bear Brown's different right. from, from Bo Schimbecker, sure. different from Woody Hayes, but, but they are detail-oriented. They don't like to have their time wasted, correct? Mm -hmm. And they don't oh. like to, Yeah, and they don't, they don't like to waste time on a practice field, et cetera. I mean, you know, uh, uh, but those are just little mic micro parts of what makes them special. When you look at Urban past that, what, what – What's, what just stands out about him in the way he goes about his business? What, what, if you had to put it in a nutshell? Well, you already hit one of the nails in the head, and that is this unbelievable uh, focus on every single minute, every, every task. He is incredibly intense. I bet he's not easy to work for. He's probably not easy to play for. But right. he gets what he needs out of everybody and then some. Um, nothing is wasted, uh, that's for sure. Uh, you know, whatever's going to happen that day, they're not going to make any dumb mistakes. It won't be laziness or stupidity that drives that, that team that day. So, um, what, and you also mentioned, too, that in his career at Ohio State, not once was he the Big Ten Coach of the Year. What the hell? <laughs> well, yeah. We see it a lot, actually, that the guys who are winning the titles don't win the Coach of the Year. And like you and I were saying off the, uh, off the air here that, you know, your question, and, you know, is it harder to go from four and eight to eight and four? And those are the guys who win the Coach of the Year. Yeah. Or is it harder to go from eight and four to, to 12 and oh? That one's easy. You know what? Playing golf, and I'm not that good. I'm going to play Muirfield right in Urban's backyard. Going from 100, you know, 120 to 90 ain't that hard. Going from 90 to 80, a little tougher, and I'm in the 80s right now. And going from 80 to breaking 80, ain't done it. <laughs> I'm going to give you some lessons with Kyle Rowland. Maybe we can get your game straightened out. <laughs> That's an inside <laughs> joke, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but, no, you're exactly right, uh, John. I mean, and, you know, the other thing is, uh, you know, the, I always use an Everest analogy for whatever reason, 
Sir Edmund Hillary climbed Everest one time and grew great acclaim, right? Right, right. Who, who knows how many times Tenzing Norgay went up and down that stupid thing? You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean and, Good job. Tenzing Norgay being the legendary yeah. Sherpa, and to this day, no one knows who was first on the yeah. mountain. It's cold, and we don't know. It's one of those two it, guys. Exactly. Remember, history thousand feet all the time. <laughs> remember, history is is clear on what the word history is. It's his story. That's what history is. So whoever gets to write it, just you know, they get to put it in there the way that order they want. But uh, I like it. But the bottom line is, getting to the top and then staying there are two different dynamics, and that that's what you know. You give a Bear Bryant credit, you give Bo credit, you know, Woody. You give uh, a guy like Urban Meyer credit that he was able to take the program and pretty much keep it at the top with a couple of like big time uh, avalanches, you know, <laughs> back at right. Purdue, Iowa games, which really cost those teams. Um, and in 2015, in my opinion, I thought that was his most talented, deepest, best team. You know, the loss to Michigan State, which still makes no sense. Uh, but that, team, that team should have had a chance to defend his national championship and didn't get that chance. Uh, but the teams he put together were incredible, correct? Really incredible. And this proves the point we're talking about. That look, going from 10 and 2 to 12 and 0, it ain't two games. It's, yeah. it's a cap. You're, you're, at 10 wins, you're halfway there uh, to 12. So that's Michigan's deal right now. I mean, they're winning 10 games more often than not. Those last one or two sure get tough. Uh, and, and when you're looking out for Michigan or Ohio State, like you said, what happens? Iowa sneaks up on you, Purdue sneaks up on you. This is in defense of the Big Ten. I recall Joe Paterno when he was uh, third or fourth year in the league in the mid-90s. And I can't find the damn quote, so here I go paraphrasing. But somebody asked him at our Big Ten event, of course, okay, you've been around the block three or four times now. You've been home and away everywhere once or twice. What do you think? And he said, well, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, those are big games, big crowds. We expected all that, no surprise. Uh, what I didn't expect is that you go to Indiana and you beat them and they beat you up for 60 minutes. And you go to yeah. Illinois, beat them, and they beat you up for 60 minutes. Yeah. That the, the depth of the Big Ten, I think, is underrated. Um, and not just the big boy at the top. And I get that the SEC is winning this thing. The top three or four teams in the SEC is as good as anybody, clearly, usually better. Um, but it's the, it's the Minnesotas, the Illinois, the Indianas that beat you up. And that's what Urban Meyer often had one of those games. Or some, and if you're going to play Temple, you know, and teams like that in your, in your non-conference, it doesn't happen. And that's what, you know, Paterno had to deal with in the, in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah that's, no, you're, that's exactly right. I mean, you may win, but you still get beat up, so to speak, on the field. I mean, it's and they physical. can beat you. They, yeah. On a given day, if you're not paying attention, they can beat you. Exactly. Hey, well, last thing. Uh, let's get back to where we started here. Give me, give me a prediction before I let you go. Will there, be, will there be a semblance of a 2020 season in 2020? Or will the 2020 season actually be in the uh, – late winter of 2021, maybe five or six games, just so people can have a good, feel-good feeling. You asked me on July 13th with yes. a gigantic caveat from William Goldman, Ohio's own great movie director, of course, and screenwriter. He wrote uh, Princess Bride and a bunch of other great movies. His great line in Hollywood is, nobody knows anything. <laughs> <laughs> so... Put, put that umbrella over whatever I say next. I'm one of those guys who knows nothing. So we're all just guessing here. Yeah. Uh, if you had to ask me on July 13th based on clearly insufficient data, uh, I hate to say it, I don't think – you might get a few games in, but I don't think you're even going to get a full Big Ten season in. And, again, the second caveat is I hope I am wrong. 
Um, but it's not stacking up very well right now. School, right now, I got a four and a half year old kid. We're all praying and hoping there's school in the fall. We don't know that even. Yeah. Um, so I hope I'm wrong. But if I had a bet right now, you might get three or four games in. But I think there's going to be another spike once kids are back on campus. And, and Tim, I've been wrong plenty. Let's hope I'm wrong again. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. But that's the point. You don't know. So you're not really wrong right now. You're just projecting. I'm not you know wrong I mean? yet. <laughs> this reminds me of that uh, line in, uh, in Old Brother Where Art Thou, though, where they're sitting around the campfire and, uh, and uh, the one guy offers Everett, you know, go for Everett. And he goes, no, he goes, that's, that, that's, uh, that, that's only wake up my appetite without bedding it back down. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what a great line, but the point is that's what we may see. We may see two or three games and then boom, you know, hey, on to the NFL draft. I have national champs. Yeah, exactly. Hey. <laughs> hey, John, you Bacon, I would vote for that, man. Hey, um, John Bacon, thanks for coming on my podcast, man. We'll do it again, too, because, uh, you I know, love. you know where you rank in my book, man, and uh, even yeah. though I've never written one. Well, I wrote one, but it didn't get published. That's another story. You know that whole story. But, uh, of course. Yeah. Hey, uh, don't forget, okay. Okay. Yeah. the Great Halifax Explosion, the cover is Scarlet and Gray. Someone yeah. pointed out that to me after the fact. So, hey, there you go. <laughs> there you go, man. But keep up the good work, my man. I'll be in touch. Thanks, John. You got it, man. Always a pleasure. I promised you, Boston, that was going to be an interesting interview, and it was. And John Bacon and I could go on for probably 10 or 15 or 20 hours just shoot, shooting the bull, chewing the fat, or as I like to say, sizzling the bacon <laughs> about all kinds of things. I mean, he's a brilliant, brilliant man. I'm glad I've gotten to know him. And, you know, his take on uh, on – you know, he was on the committee that picked those all-decade teams and the obviously the all-decade uh, coach for the Big Ten. And, yep. you know, the as he said, the, it was a no-brainer picking Urban Meyer as the uh, all-decade coach of the year or all-decade coach of the decade. Why am I stumbling over that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think probably because it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that he was never the coach of the year, which is also a little bit like Wyatt Davis being – a second team all Big Ten performer according to the Big Ten coaches last year and then making the all decade team at guard. These yeah. you know, the the voting and I said that I've said this before and you and I have had this conversation, like people don't want to just name nothing but Buckeyes and they don't want to give credit to the coach who wins with the most talent as if recruiting that talent is not a huge part of their job, which every single coach would admit. Um so that part, you know, is a bit funny. Uh, Ryan Day finally broke that streak at least halfway last year and got some credit uh, for what he did storming through that season. But yeah. it was funny because 2012, you know, when we filmed that and you look back, like the guy went undefeated with a roster that wasn't anywhere near talented enough, in my opinion, to have run the table. They, they beat both teams that played in the Big Ten championship game. If they'd been playing Notre Dame, I don't have any doubt in my mind that you know, uh, a healthy Braxton Miller at that point, really at the height of his powers, and, and Urban Meyer, you know, pulling those, pulling the right, you know, uh, levers, mental, pulling the right levels, you know, levers as you say, and the right psychological tricks at that point. I mean, a one-off game against Notre Dame to win the title, I don't have any doubt who's winning that. So, um, hard to imagine that that guy wasn't the coach of the year for what he did in 2012. But, you know, I guess Bill O'Brien did some decent things at Penn State, but. Not quite the same as going 12-0. and 0. Hey, let's uh, give people a little peek behind the curtains, you know, like in Wizard of Oz, uh, of like how that 2012 thing uh, special came together and came together at the impetus of Urban Meyer. Because 
he called me and said, you know, this, you know, he was getting a lot of that, you know, 20, you know, coach of the decade. And he's saying, Tim, that doesn't happen if that 2012 season doesn't happen. Meaning if that 2012 team hadn't bought in, uh, hadn't responded, as he said, this maniac coach, you know, coming in with another way of doing things, you know, as he, and as, as he pointed out, it wasn't like that team, it wasn't like in t- 2011, they didn't have some great players at Ohio State, but they weren't a great team. And they lost a lot of games at the end of games. You know, they didn't finish. And as I point out in that special, you know, what the difference was, they learned how to finish under Urban Meyer. And if you look at like Michigan and its travails, as I was talking about with John Bacon earlier, you know, one of their problems, uh, especially against Ohio State, especially over the last seven, eight years, is not finishing, you know, the the season, but not finishing those games. Because there were several there that were theirs for the taking but Ohio State found a way to win, and uh, Michigan uh, found a way to lose. So, you know, it, and it's interesting how we got them together. But, you know, give people a little bit more insight. I mean, like you said, Jake Stoneburner and Urban had really not spoken much since that right. 2012 year. And it was cool having them sitting at the same table, even though they're about as far away as they could get, except for the two hosts, your, yourself and your, my, you and uh, yours truly. Yeah, so, I mean – he, when he had that idea and he, he reached out uh, about, you know, to you directly. And, and then we started to think, well, what can we put together? Because a few of these guys already help at Letterman Road, Jake and uh, Evan uh, that were there, Reed Fragle. So, I mean, we knew those guys would be on board, but, you know, you're dealing with what can we put together on short notice? How many guys can we get? What can we actually film? We're going to try and add a bonus episode um, at some point because there are two figures uh, that absolutely needed to be in that video who yeah. weren't in town. And we wanted to, you know, make sure that, you know, Urban was able to do it um, and give, you know, something, you know, cool moment, special, something special for him. Got those guys. I mean, we hadn't seen – I hadn't talked to C.J. Barnett since his Ohio State career ended. Um, and a lot of these guys, I mean, when they go on and do their, their other things, they're not hanging out. They're not calling Urban. Urban's – when he was coaching, he's recruiting. He's not focused on – you know, talking to the guys from 2012 when it's 2017 and he's trying to win the Big Ten. So yeah. he hadn't seen some of these guys in a long time. That includes Muhort, who was – you remember the way that he talked about him and his leadership for those couple years. Uh, that was one of his all-time favorite players up there with a, a John Simon or a JT Barrett, you know, down the line for his incredible leadership. So just – you could tell how uh, much that meant to them to really talk about 2012. I mean, it was – you know, for Reed Fragle – that's one of the highlights of his entire athletic career. Uh, Urban has had tons of those, but the 2012 one sure seems to stick in his mind as a, a turning point for the Buckeyes, but also even for a guy with three national championships, that, that 12-0 record and the circumstances that he faced and you know the rivalry, first time he got to do that with Ohio State, all that stuff really seems to resonate with him. And uh, I think he could have talked about it for five or six hours and maybe we should have just kept it rolling that long. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he would have. And uh... – there are moments there where he, Urban gets, you know, Ur, I wouldn't say Urban has never been an unemotional animal. If anything, he's very emotional, you know, in certain situations in games or in the seasons or things when things are going on and stuff. But there were times there where he, <clears throat> you could clearly tell that he, he was quite taken by the moment. And his point was he wanted players, former players on that, on that panel because he said, 
you know, that's what you win with. I mean, that, that those are the ones that made it happen. You can have the greatest plan in the world, but you you don't have anybody following you. You know, you're charging up San Juan Hill on your own horse with nobody behind you. You're probably not going to win. And uh, and it's funny because when I, before we introduced John Bacon, as I digress once again, as I'm wont to do, as I was talking to you about it, uh, you know, it's it's looking back now. Uh, how much that set the table, the foundation for what came is remarkable, right? I mean, I keep reminding people, this: these are the golden years of Ohio State football, and they include a national championship in 2014. But the first half, the first 20 years of this, first 19 seasons of this century have been off the chart. Yeah, and I think that there there is certainly a scenario where a nine and three Ohio State dealing with sanctions could have still could have spun that. I mean, Urban Meyer is still going to be one of the best recruiters of all time. He's he would have found some way to get very talented players to buy into what they were doing. But I think so. Maybe it's not even just the twelve and zero team kickstarted recruiting because I he he believes that it did. But I think that probably could have been overcome. What really helped is that there were a number of younger players who went through that 2012 season, became the leaders in 2014. And then from there, the snowball really built with, you know, talking about even, you know, to this day with Travion Henderson or Evan Pryor talking about Ezekiel Elliott. Like that's all of that stuff is a trickle-down effect from what happened in 2012. You can point it back to Carlos Hyde if you're just dealing with running backs or whatever, the way he emerged. But none of that stuff, yeah. you know, that all, all of it starts with those 6 a.m., 5 a.m. freezing workouts – um, you know, Evan Spencer, you know, maybe he never gets that opportunity to throw the touchdown to Michael Thomas in the Sugar Bowl if he doesn't, you know, stick through what happens in 2012. All of those, there's, you know, 76 individual stories from that season. Not all of those guys made it to 2013 or 2014 to win a Big Ten title or go to the national championship. But all of those, that legacy came from what those guys did. And it, I think that's also why Urban, you know, wants so much to celebrate it because we're always going to talk about 2014 and the national champions, but you know, there are so many, so many challenges that they had to face, whether that was recruiting, uh, upgrading the roster to a bunch of positions, you know, the fact that Zach Bourne wasn't there to talk about, you know, his move over for the Indiana game to middle linebacker. I mean, that's a reminder of the challenges this team faced. They had a bunch of NFL players already on the team, you know, John Simon, Jonathan Hankins, uh, you know, we, we know what Braxton uh, was capable of doing. But, you know, those, those veterans on that team, you know, it, it's not the same as what we're talking about with this roster. Everything has changed from that moment. Yeah. But if you don't get off to the first step correctly, you know, who knows how long that could have taken. We're not, talk, we're not probably talking about a championship in 14. It might have taken two or three more years, and the whole trajectory of the, of the program would look very different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, and the thing about it is the other thing I wanted to touch on. You know, when you're a head coach, um, your your objective is to win football games. Obviously, there are other uh, things that you have to do along the way, but getting your players necessarily to love you, you know, <laughs> is not is not necessarily part of the. Uh, you know, and and most of the coaches go out of the way to do that. Don't end up being high achievers and stuff. And I think that was why. I, it's important for Urban Meyer to kick back and enjoy, you know, these young men he brought along who who he helped get 
like you said, maybe for most of them, that defining moment in their athletic uh, careers, you know, the guys that were seniors that year in 2012, helped them become one of only six, part of one of only six unbeaten, undefeated teams in Ohio State history. That's crazy. That's something no one can take away from you, you know. And uh, and sometimes you're not – you don't end up being their best friend, the most beloved guy. But like five, eight, seven, ten years later, you come to appreciate what that guy and his coaching staff meant to you. Yeah, and and that took, you know, eight years if we're talking specifically about Jake Stoneburner. And, you know, next time time we have him on on Letterman Live – you know, he can detail that more than I can. I don't want to, you know, tell all of his story for him. But, you know, he he's made no secret before on other shows that, you know, that coaching style and the way Urban challenged people, that he wasn't, you know, used to that, ready for it. It was a big change for him. I mean, he, he committed to play for a different coach and spent most of, most of his career doing that. Um, his role changed on that team. He was more considered more of a wide receiver than a tight end. Yeah. Uh, he had to go through the summer with the, you know, not, not scholarship. And, you know, Urban had to send the message at that point because people were still talking about his off the field stuff with Florida. Um, a relatively minor incident in the grand scheme of things for him and Muhort, but all of that was part of it. And he was not, Stoney really appreciated that down the right, down the road, like what it took to be great. And he really latched onto the same thing that Urban did, which was the Michael Jordan, last stand and talking about greatness and what it takes to get to that level. I mean, Urban does not accept anything less. Some players really love that. John Simon, Zach Bourne, Jack Muhort, they took to that, if not right away, at least wholeheartedly by the time that the season arrived. And you saw the results of that. So, you know, some guys are just trying to get through it, and then later on they appreciate it. Some really love it. Like that's you're not ever going to have a roster of 85 guys that are John Simon, so you have to get, but you still have to get through to everybody if you're going to win at the level level that Urban Meyer and Ohio State did. Ryan Day's approach is not the same, but that's still the same applies to him. If he's considered more of a player's coach uh, than Urban, well, some guys want to be pushed like Urban. How, you still have to manage your entire roster, and and really what both of these guys have done, but but Urban with a much longer track record that we can point to is he knows how to get through to everybody. Uh, as I, as you said, pulling those levers, he's one oh, of yeah. the great sports psychologists that I've ever been around. Any great, any great, any great team in any sport relies eventually on a second or third team guy to come through for him in the clutch because of injury or whatever happenstance. And uh, that's what, you, you know, you saw on that team, you know, you saw Chris Fields make a hell of a catch <laughs> for a touchdown. And then Jeff Harmon, you know, uh, not that he was average by any stretch, but Jeff Harmon with a two-point conversion against Purdue, both those passes thrown by cool jazz, Kenny, Kenny Guyton, who took mainly uh, what they call uh, reps, you know, Mental non-playing level. reps so standing behind, back behind the line while Braxton Miller got most of the reps in practice, et cetera. You just all, so all these things, this Urban Meyer approach come to the fore, you know, and, uh, you know, his, his big line, and this is what stands out about him as much as anything. And I remember, you know, and uh, Big Ten Network has used this before, and, you know, we all heard, you know, he didn't want to coach average, you know. He, he, he wants achievers. He wants people that want to be better than they are. You know, better today than you were yesterday, better tomorrow than you were 
you know, better tomorrow than you are today. And uh, that's his approach, but be in the moment, always being proving and stuff. And he meant that not only for his players, but for his coaches. And that's what stood out to me about him is he never accepted, you know, he never accepted average by any stretch, but then he never accepted anybody coasting. And uh, if there was one thing that set him apart as a coach, I think that was, that was it as much as anything else. You agree? Yeah, and I think that that's why he's gravitated towards this opportunity to – he really loves the people that he's doing the Fox, you know, big noon kickoff show with. Yeah. He's surrounded by other people that have achieved – like, you know, when you're talking about Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush, you're putting Heisman winners and national champions around him. That's, that's what he gravitates towards. And so it's also, I think, you know, humbling for me, humbling for Letterman Rowe as a company that he has wanted to do stuff with us like this um, because you can't – you can't coast into putting an event together if you're going to have Urban Meyer, you know, bring you into that room in that seven O room and have players around him. You've got it. Even if you only have uh, 36 hours to put it together, well, he's got high standards. You know, yeah. he, he thought that we could do that. And, and I, I think we, I hope everyone agrees that we did a decent job trying to pull it off. It wasn't uh, easy and, and the audio, you know, we're not in a perfect sound studio like he might be. In no, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. You knew the seven O room wasn't soundproof, you know. I'll just throw that, that out. My first, hey, that was my that was my first time in there. I'd never I'd never got behind the velvet rope, so <laughs> yeah, uh, me neither. <laughs> I, I've been in there a few times because we did the pregame show for uh, uh, ninety seven point one The Fan last year. Uh, several of the road games, we did the pregame show in there, and I'll never forget the Michigan the day of the Michigan game. All these people, they opened up early, you know, because the Michigan game started at noon. This one guy, Michigan fan, comes walking in in his amazing blue and <laughs> goes to the concert, you know, the, the uh, major D there. And the next thing you know, he's walking back out the door, you know. But, I mean, uh, I mean that place was but, – but it's an interesting uh, place, and it's got Urban's name on it in the 7-0 room, like I was talking to with John Bacon. I mean, John Bacon is as big a Michigan fan as you're going to run into, but he's objective about things, you know. And uh, – uh, I said, you know, that's the gravity of the situation, John. I said, they've actually named – Urban Meyer's named a special room in the Urban Meyer Pied House after the way he kicked – by the way he kicked Michigan's butt, you know. Uh, a hooker crook, they got the job done. And uh, that's his legacy as much as anything else, correct? Well, I mean, yeah. It, and you can really pick. Like, that's what's so – you and I have talked about this before. When you look at his – his resume and what he accomplished at Ohio state I mean, national championship, the undefeated 2012 season that we keep talking about the incredible flood of first round NFL draft picks, the amount of Buckeyes that are continuing to thrive at the next level, clearly prepared that developed here, you know, mantra that Mark Pantone and Urban Meyer got to sell all that. St you can point to any of that stuff. Uh, the big 10 titles, um, you know, the Rose bowl, the, the, you know, New Year's Day bowl games that we got to cover, the huge ones that he was a part of, getting to the college football playoff, all that stuff, you know, resonates. And you could make a case for any of them. But if if this rivalry truly is as important as we know that it is in this state, then 7-0 and is what is going to always jump off the page. Um, you know, you can't, you can't ever beat that mark, you know. You, he yeah. went undefeated. He coached – he won every game that he played against uh, the rival – he treated it with more urgency than I would have thought was even possible for a human being. 
You know, yeah. he wanted to make sure that, and the other players did too, that, you know, it's not that Jim Trestle didn't take it seriously. We know he did, but all the, all the effort that went into that with him and Mickey Marotti and all the way through his staff down to the players. Uh, I mean, that started again in 2012 with uh, a really gritty physical victory. I'll never forget, you know, the Zach Bourne hit mostly um, in a, in a photo that still, I saw it, you know, on one right. of the trucks the other day driving around Columbus. I mean, that stuff, seven and zero, and winning that game that changes changes your life if you if you're at Ohio State, and that includes Urban Meyer. I mean that those wins that he had early on that really set the tone. Um, I know how much they mean to him. Like, I seen the pictures at his in his office and in his house and, and the football game balls and pictures with Nate. I mean those are the ones that really matter to him. Yeah, it was so cool having C.J. Barnett on that panel too because C.J. Barnett had the interception that sealed it at the end of the game. That. And the fact that just like in the Michigan State game, they went out there and uh, uh, and ran the clock out. You know, uh, those were the two seminal wins, really, of that game. Now they had two overtime wins during that season, but those were the two those were the two victories that you kind of go that put that team on a different level, in my opinion. Uh, but let's you know let's move on uh, uh, quickly, um, succinctly. Uh, will there be? A Michigan Ohio State game in 2020. Quick, your quick answer is a yes or a no. Yeah. Uh, well, yes. no, no women. Yes or a no. Yes. Okay. Will it be the first game of the season or the first one of the first two or three games? So you make sure you get it in. Yes or a no. Yes. How much will the traditionalists roll over in their uh, in their quarantine? Uh, knowing it's not going to be the necessary – it could be the last game of the year, too, the way this thing is going. It could be the third and last game of the year at the same time. I mean, don't you get the idea that Ohio State is going to front load or that the Big Ten is going to front load maybe its rivalries to make sure there's a continuity in those realms and then uh, whatever they get after that is gravy? Yeah. If, in fact, they do play? Yeah, I think we'll find out in the, in the next couple of days, hopefully um, by the middle of this week, um, maybe next week at the latest, um, the big 10 is trying to work through all of those scheduling contingencies. And I think the first thing that you have to do, if you're hoping to execute one, which, which clearly the big 10 is, or it wouldn't have made that announcement last week, there was no incentive for them to say at that point, you know, you, they could have canceled if they wanted to, or they could have waited until August and, and held out hope that everything was going to be normal. I think clearly last week was, in a step in, in a direction to try and maintain a season in the fall. Now, there's a hundred different ways that that could look like, but I think, and this came up numerous times with Gene Smith, the fact that you now have week zero, week one, week two, week three available for a team like Ohio State gives you so much uh, flexibility, flexibility, versatility, scheduling options. And I don't think that there will be any games – in November scheduled with opponents and dates attached to them when they come back out with it. That's, I don't have, um, you know, nobody is tipping their hand and this is not reporting. This is just me reading, right. speculating what I've been hearing that you have to, you're going to have to leave things up in the air. So the first thing that you want to do, uh, as you said, rivalries or division games, those are going to be the ones that if, if it's Ohio state, Michigan last Saturday, in November, you can't bank on that. You don't know what's going to happen. That's a weekend that you probably need to leave open. You know, if you need to resolve a race, if you're trying to have the Big Ten title game the following week, that's one that I think would move to September. I don't know that the Big Ten would be in a huge hurry to, 
to flip it all the way around and make that the opener. That would be absolutely nuts um, to see. I'm not sure. I would, as a you know traditionalist or whatever. I, I wouldn't really be bothered if that's what they have to do to have a season. But I think that would be like a warning sign to everyone that they they don't think they could finish a season if that's the dude, one. That dude, think about it. Think, think about it though. If they opened the season, Ohio State versus Michigan, you know, Purdue versus Indiana, all those other ones. Yeah. But Ohio versus Michigan, the game, and that was the only one they got to play. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> that would be un- – that would be one – well, it's already one for the history books, as John Bacon and I have talked about, but that would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, if the COVID – they decide, well, this is too dangerous, et cetera. I mean, but, wow, that would – I think you almost – you really have to consider Ohio State Michigan as the first game because of that, because there's no guarantee of a second game. Flip side of it is if you're Ryan Day, if you're Jim Harbaugh, you know, you know, no offense to Rutgers, but I'd rather open with Rutgers, <laughs> get a game under my belt, right? Uh, or Maryland. Yeah. Although Maryland could be pretty good, believe it or not. You know, I know, I know where you stand with Mike Loxley, but he, they're getting <laughs> players over there, my man. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, the idea would be get a game under your belt before you play the rivalry. But the other flip side of it is if you're only going to play one game, play the game. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think right now my, my feeling is they're going to know if it's safe to play or not by the time that training camp is over because – I'm not sure that adding in an opponent is going to change things significantly after you've had two, three, four weeks of guys really, you know, doing football activities, hitting, you know, the exchange of uh, the fluid flying, the spittle flying. Oh, man, you just paint a hell of a picture there. You forgot about the aerosol aspect. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you're actually going to be doing the game activities throughout August. and I don't imagine that there's a scenario at this point that's going to include fans in the stands. So you're going to, you're going to know basically what situation you're in um, by the middle of August. If the, if the thing is spreading and half the team uh, comes down with COVID during training camp, well, there's, there's going to be no games. Um, That is a real potential outcome here for the fall. So I would say, you know, given the option between, uh, you know, zero and one, you're going to know if they're, if they're, if you're even able to play before you get to that point. So that's another reason why I think you wouldn't see the true marquee games week one. If you got through training camp and you think you're okay, then you can probably put together a schedule for September, maybe a week or two into October, and then go from there, depending on if the new things arise, if you have a cancellation postponement. Um, so I, I guess I should say, zero or four plus would be uh, my expectation. I don't think that they would get to that point in, you know, September 5th or week zero and say, we're not sure. Let's just let this Ohio state Michigan game happen. And then we'll, we'll evaluate from there. You'll either know by then in the midway point of training camp, if it's safe to play games or not. Yeah. Uh, The interesting thing, you know, you heard the question, one of the questions I asked uh, Gene Smith last week on a teleconference, you know, I think the most interesting part of the athletic directors being together on all of this is what is going to constitute a team 
legitimately being able to postpone or ask for a postponement or a cancellation of a game, you know, that, those, those, uh, uh, those parameters are going to be the most interesting because like I said, you might only have four COVID-19 cases on your whole team, but, but if it's all four of your quarterbacks, you know, uh, you're in a world of hurt. So that would, that would constitute uh, the postponement of a game that, you know, in the Tim May book, but, uh, I, you know, and then, you know, what what's going to be how they're going to legitimize or how they're going to certify that a team is in fact, you know, I mean, it, 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 I just think this, this is going to be crazy in the fall uh, to think that you're going to play more than five or six games. That's what I think. Basically, a vaccine. Yeah, and, and uh, it seems pretty pretty unlikely here in the middle of July that the vaccine is going to materialize and save college football. Yeah, um, you know, and I think that this, you and I talked about this when we were reporting on Wednesday and Thursday last week that the Big Ten put those two caveats in their release for a reason. If they're able to have a, a, a season, and at the moment that they were already prepared not to play one, if that's what they need to do, that's yeah. not an accident. You know, they have teams and teams of lawyers and athletic directors and presidents looking at this and all agreeing before they put it out. They, there is real concern. I, I, I'm not, I can't sugarcoat it that there will not be a fall football season. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's why I say it's, it's zero or, you know, four plus uh, sort of, you know, depends a lot on what happens in the next five weeks. The big 10 is going to put out a tentative schedule here in you know next couple days or week, but that still doesn't mean that a final decision about this season actually happening is occurring. Um, I just think what happened last week was a critical first step that you needed to reset the expectations, first of all, um, that this is a serious situation. Uh, they're not going to take unnecessary risks or pretend any longer that a full season is realistic for them. And there are lots of reasons for that. And the health and safety is, is number one. But I, also, if you're looking at the long-term um, ramifications for, for college football programs at this level or the MAC level or any level, you know, you have to do what's best financially. And mm -hmm. if Ohio State doesn't have, you know, millions of dollars coming in from hosting home games on Saturday, then it doesn't make sense to pay Bowling Green $1.3 to come in for that game. The, the return mm -hmm. on that investment is not there. That really sucks for Bowling Green. It really, you know, sucks for MAC teams and Sunbelt teams and Mountain West Conference teams all across the country that those paydays are so important for them. But this is a cutthroat situation. Ohio State has to protect its own athletic department before it can subsidize anybody else. And yeah. that's not something that Gene Smith or, you know, Kevin Warren or anybody else wanted to talk about as part of this decision, but it's absolutely part of the equation. Um, you know, because people ask us all the time, well, if it's safe for them to fly to Wisconsin, why isn't it safe for them to fly to Oregon? Maybe there's not a difference in that, except for the fact that the Big Ten can manage the protocol uh, and put everybody on, a, on level footing and the financial impact. That is a huge part of it if college football is going to survive past 2020 or any other sport that Ohio State sponsors. Yeah, I would think, I would think uh, that there, are going to be, there is going to be some kind of financial uh, situation going on with a, with a couple of those games, though, that have been, that have been canceled right. uh, because they were kind of done unilaterally. You know what I mean? And uh, so I, I would expect, you know, Buffalo and Bowling Green are going to – I would expect them to get something out of it one way or the other. The Pac-12 has already announced that it's going to an intramural 
conference uh, season, uh, just like the Big Ten did. It did it a few days later. Totally expected that. I wrote about I wrote about how I saw that coming two and a half, three months ago. You wrote about it also a little later after that uh, because that's what made sense, being able to maintain uh, some semblance of, uh, strength, of strong parameters within your, your neighborhood as opposed to going out of the neighborhood. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this is just going to be this, – this story is just going to keep writing itself as the year goes on, and there are going to be twists and turns. And like you said, I think there's as much of a chance of not being a season or any games – as there are, as there is, there being games this year at this moment. And like, uh, like Gene Smith said, you know, he was cautiously optimistic, <laughs> you know, when he talked to us a month, month and a half ago. Now he's lost that, you know, that feel. Uh, it's now what happens in the next six weeks is going to determine a lot of what we see. And, you know, you and I have given our pulse uh, – tried to avoid making predictions as much as possible. The one thing that we've said all along was that we expected this to be that conference only schedule as a solution. Um, we didn't, you know, we, and I have tried every time I've written about this to avoid saying this is definitely going to happen because nobody yeah. knows. And the yeah. deference to the experts and the decision makers um, look, athletic directors are pretty low on that list compared to, you know, government officials and health experts and doctors and trainers and uh, school presidents. I mean, everybody knows that you need college football for athletic departments to operate for, to help, you know, universities function, uh, that they're critical. Um, but at what cost are you willing to make that happen? And as this thing has changed, you know, if you flip back four or five episodes ago and we're talking early June and, and the Buckeyes are going back to work. Hey, there was a lot more optimism on this show. Yeah. You well, were, you and I were a little more upbeat. I mean, it was like, yeah. uh, you know, it was like a, it was like a little bit of a waltz there instead of now it's sort of like a, you know, that middle part of a, of a symphony that gets kind of slow. Yeah. You're not sure where it's going. Hey, and I don't like this being the tone of the show. This isn't the way that I like to talk. I'm, I'm very, I'm an optimistic person. You know, that, that, that uh, informs, all of my coverage and the way that I live my life. I mean, this, too, brother. and this is a, this is a bad deal. You know, I'm not, I'm not uh, optimistic right now about a full season. Definitely not a full season. I never, I never was optimistic about that, but um, yeah. this is a, I think if, if people have been following along and, and counting on me to paint a rosy picture that everything's going to be fine. I, I don't, I don't feel that way anymore to borrow a line from bill clinton uh you know is there going to be a season depends on what your definition of is is because right. uh right now it's uh yeah everything's flipped. like a like like i talked about with john bacon i mean you want to know the answer to the question before you know what the real question is now we don't know what the we don't know what the final answer is going to be because this thing is so murky uh hey what we're, we're, we're quick thing uh you know as, as uh as came out last week you know uh uh, there was an incident of, or several instances of instances of uh, players uh, uh, testing positive for COVID-19. I'm told it's, you know, it was, as I was told, it was in the single digits in terms of the total athletes involved, not just football players. And uh, football players, you know, is in the realm of probably five, four, five, or six. You know, I didn't get a definitive answer on that and stuff. I was told it was no, what you'd call 
player of great repute uh, so far, but you know, all these players matter. Uh, but that's the point from one week to the next, this thing can change dramatically. And uh, the more you interact with other people, especially people who aren't wearing masks or in public, et cetera, uh, you know, the, the, and I say that knowing full well that we uh, videoed that, that uh, 2012 get together in the seven and O room uh, Sam's master, so we definitely wouldn't be able to hear each other, especially Jake Stoneburner down the other end of the other end of the table. But uh, yeah, this is uh, there is no definitive answer here. Like I said, until the vaccine comes along, right, Boston? Yeah, um, and I uh, there's no there's no magic uh, solution here. You know, even the even the vaccine, um, you don't know how long it takes to implement. When we're going to have it at a level where 130 college football teams could have it or 14 in the big 10 and and that's yeah not even with you know that's not even going to happen until 2021 at some point if we're if we're all lucky so um yeah we we had an event where we wore our masks into urbans and then took them off to sit down at a table uh according to local guidelines but you know would that make a big difference if we shut down the restaurants again Probably, you know, if we just went back to exclusively using Zoom for, for Letterman Row stuff, could that help? I'm, I, maybe it could. I don't know. You, I've said it, that I've, we try to do everything we can to make sure that there's college football. We're also trying to make sure that uh, we can stay uh, in business and keep the lights on. And I know that that's the difficult calculation for everybody in this country right now. Yeah. And then, you know, so, like, when it comes to college football or Letterman Row or – you know, Urban Meyer's Pint House or, you know, any, anything. Like, it's, it's hard to know what the exact right thing to do is to, to make sure that we can survive. And it's like, it's really, really frustrating for me. So I can only imagine what that means for uh, Gene Smith and Ryan Day because they have 10,000 things that would have to go right for them just to get to play a college football season. And it's just sometimes you sit down, we have these conversations and it's like, it's hard to process it. You know, it really yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, uh, knock on wood so far, I've been healthy. My family's been healthy. I hope it stays that way. Same with you, I'm sure. And, uh, and Boston, appreciate you coming on my podcast. You know, you know that every week, man. I'm sorry you didn't make it last week. Uh, we had kind of a full <laughs> chat there with, uh, uh, you know, especially it was great having John Cooper on and then having uh, uh, Pat Chun, the Washington State Athletic Director on, had sort of a harbinger there of what was to come you know, at the end of the week there, both from the Big Ten and from the Pac-12. And, you know, if the SEC ever gets around to doing the same thing, we'll see. I mean, obviously Alabama's already lost its uh, key preseason or uh, conference matchup with USC because of what went on last week. And uh, a lot of people are seeing the light here. But, uh, you know, maybe by this time next week, we'll have a little bit more definitive answers of what we're going to see or at least what a projection would be of a Big Ten season, uh, right? Let's hope so, my man. You got it. All right. Well, until then, ladies and gentlemen, that's another Tim May podcast in the can. And uh, looking forward to, but until next week, this is Tim May for Boston Ward. We'll see you. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.